So today I am chatting with Lynn. And can you say your last name? I can. It's okay. Deulis. Okay, Deulis, who I have had previously on another episode. And because of her work in adoption and adoption reunion, I thought it would be a great idea to have her back and get some of her opinions and observations on different topics concerning reunion. So first... Let's talk a little bit about why people search for their birth families. So I think initially it's curiosity. I think that people just want to know where they've come from, where their roots are, if you will. And what was the story? I think there's a search for the story as to, you know, you know, was it an unpleasant pregnancy? Was there a reason when I was born that made you think you couldn't handle life with me? There's so, so many reasons. But I think the bottom line is curiosity, a need to reach out to those roots. And there's so much research, and I'm sure you're quite aware, Miranda, of adoption trauma. And I think to try to mitigate that trauma is another, uh, you know, driving force. People want to know more. Do you think some people think that if they meet their birth families, it will kind of like help solve that internal issue that they have with adoption? Yes, I think the, that for some people, the why mitigates the trauma. The reason that, you know, you know, for example, there was a long time that I thought it's because it was a fat baby and maybe it hurt oh. when she gave birth to me and maybe that's why I was young. Right. And um, then it came to be that I was a pound bigger at discharge because I had been left at the home in the hospital for almost a month. So, but as a kid, I didn't understand that weight gain and things like that. But I remember being paranoid about getting fat because <laughs> if I was fat and she met me, she wouldn't maybe like me. All in my head. Absolutely mm -hmm. no truth to any of that. <laughs> so I think that it's that, you know, what was it me? Is a, is a driving force as to why people look, you know, what did I do? And, and can I change that enough that you'll accept me now? Yeah. And do you think maybe the curiosity of like, what kind of people are they? Like, how could people do this? Are they okay people that were just in a bad situation? Or was it social pressures? Or do you think that's a driving force behind the why? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, did the grandparents make her do it? Was it her choice? Where was the birth dad in all of this? What role did he play in the relinquishment decision? So, yeah, I think it's just those millions of questions that growing up adopted, you have as an adult adopted person. Even as a kid, I remember having questions. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's the knowing, you know, and there's, I think there's a little bit of, you know, when you're an adult, at least, there's a little bit of resentment as to who are you to keep that information from me? I'm a grown up now. Right. There's a resentment of why did you give me away in the first place, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, not for everyone, but I think the more detailed the person's social and medical history is, you know, it changes people's motivation then, right? So if they have a lot of detail and insight into why, and in some cases their adoptive parents have met their birth parent and can answer a lot of those questions, you know, but for people in my generation, and I'm 65, right? So people of my generation, my parents weren't given very much, minimal, minimal information. It was all verbal. Yeah. So, you know, so my mom, honestly, I'm sure in hindsight, made stuff up just to stop me asking. <laughs> <laughs> Like, please, kid, I don't know. But instead, I didn't accept, I don't know. So she said, oh, well, this happened. And then I went, oh, okay. Yeah, you're like, wait, that's not what you said last time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've been writing yeah. this down. Yeah. 
So then they have their different reasons for wanting to search. So then they go out there and search and they search in a variety of ways. In your work, I know it's mostly through your agency. People have registered to find each other and then you kind of have linked people up that way. But we talked a little bit about like DNA testing and stuff. So when they do all those different things and they find who they're looking for, sometimes the birth mother rejects them. Sometimes the sibling rejects them. So do you have any insight as to why those rejections take place? They seem to usually be immediate. It's not like something where they get to know each other and then they decide they don't like each other. Although that happens too. I think it more, yeah, more just kind of, you know, peters out, if you will, like the, uh, because it was the thought that was the driving force. So once you've satisfied that curiosity for a lot of people, it's like, okay, and then they move on with their lives. Yeah. Without continuing a relationship, which is probably hard for for some people. But for others, I think they just reach a plateau of, you know, now I know everything I needed to know. And uh, off I go. And I think it's just like it's different it's very different for every person i think the ancestry dna as you and i chatted about or those kinds of uh dna testing kits there's no prep uh for anybody in the triad right or in the in the constellation of adoption there's nobody to say you know what hey whoa whoa on your expectations here you know have you thought about what if you reach out and these people don't believe you or you know even though you have genetic proof what does that mean to some people so there's no counseling that I'm aware of around the what ifs and so that can really put a damper on what you you know you're expecting oh I'm going to call my birth dad and you know he's going to be so excited to know I exist and meanwhile he's hanging up Mm -hmm. (laughs) or his his partner is (laughs) for sure right and then and I feel that a good percentage of adopted people have that feeling of fear of rejection so when it happens we don't really have the strength to try again Right. And so when you do it independently from an, like an agency would call back. If I would call and the person would hang up, I would wait because obviously they had some explaining to do to their partner or whatever and um, wait for them to get back. And then if they didn't get back to me, I, I would try again. You know, I mean, like there's times where I was told to you know, off and, uh, you know, <laughs> was unable to continue and had to tell the adoptee that, you know, so not that specifically, <laughs> but to say they're just not willing to, you know, but they know you're interested. They know how to register to meet you if that changes in the future. And, and there you go. When they say no, it's very, very hard. Siblings specifically. So, you know, you find out your information and then you find out your birth parent is deceased and then you reach out to the siblings. They may or may not have ever heard anything about you. And I've seen a couple of times where the siblings are just like, no, I want nothing to do with you. And do you think that has to do with just the shock of the whole thing? I think it's the shock. I think often it may be respect for the non biological parent they're worried about their dad and their loyalty to their dad may prevent them from going forward with these children of their mom so there's i mean you know family dynamics as you well know are very skewed and different and every family is different but i think that when siblings reject siblings it's the concept of it and um, often it's loyalty too and so sometimes when that parent passes on then they are often more freer to look back on it and to take up a relationship after that because the loyalty, they no longer have that need to be loyal. I know in my case, my birth sister and I were extremely lucky that their father, our birth sister's father, had said, when you're looking through your mother's stuff, there might be some information from a children's aid. 
Mm-hmm. and about two other little girls and they never found that information by the way wow <laughs> so he, he told her for nothing but we're uh, grateful yeah yeah so she had gotten rid of it even to prepare for her passing that she was not prepared for us to meet her children but lucky for us the dad had told them because he didn't want them to find out from a you know an envelope they opened suddenly and I think that's fair I thought you know little did he know it wasn't there he was trying to prepare his children which I you know I give him credit for yeah, that's responsible parent move, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. can. And honestly, you know, there's the, the adoption trauma of, you know, knowing that I was, you know, given up for adoption at birth and, you know, she she signed away her parental rights and all of that that I've lived with my whole life. But when at the reunion stage she said no to meeting us, it's a different no. It's a rejection instead of a fact of life. Like, I feel that, you know, she didn't have much choice. And she had us because the societal norms and there wasn't financial support and all of those things. You know, I understood why she made that decision. But the one when, because her thing was she didn't want her children to find out. Right. And because, you know, her husband knew, but her children did not. And I, I get that as a mom. But we uh, subsequently offered to meet with her away from her, her children mm-hmm. that we just wanted to meet. And uh, she declined that. So that hurt. You know, and it's a different kind of thing than if the siblings would have just said, oh, no, we don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, yeah, we know that our mom had you guys before she got married by our dad and had us, but we don't want anything to do with you. That would have been painful, but differently. Right. I don't know. It's silly to say, but, you know, you feel a little bit, I think, that your parent, birth parent owes you something. Yeah, I can see that. But your birth siblings don't. Yeah, I can understand that. They're like kind of innocent bystanders in the whole thing, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Which I feel I was as well. Do you think part of it is like people don't understand fully the experience of an adoptee and why they need to know those answers as bad as they do? Absolutely. They're focused on the impact it's going to have on them, which is normal human response. Right. And I've had people who their first response is to hang up, but then they call back because they've had time to think about it. And they've had time to think of it from the you know, maybe they've called people they know that were adopted. Who knows why they call back? But the good news is they call back. Yeah. And it happened, you know, often enough, often enough that, you know, it kind of changed how I approached it in the first place. Like, I would kind of leave that open-ended. Like, I understand that this might have come as a shock. And, uh, you know, you, you have no reason to really believe me. But you might want to look into it a little further before rejecting the whole idea. You know, I would often, like, when I think probably after the first time I got a call back, I thought, oh, Actually, they thought about it. So maybe I need to plant that seed that, you know, it's not closed because you hang up. Yeah. You can call back or you can register with the government. This is how you do it. You know, that kind of stuff. I tried to leave it more open-ended. As a professional, you take those experiences and you grow and, and change your own method of approach, right? In the hopes that it will always get better. Do you think that one thing that may influence it, and I've heard this a couple of times, I don't know the legality of it, but I've heard people say that they thought that their siblings rejected them because they didn't want to have to share an inheritance with them. Oh, I'm sure that's the case in some in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. So you're splitting the estate now five ways instead of four. Yeah, I don't know what the legal yeah. implications are with that if you're adopted. I don't it know. It depends how. on where you live. <laughs> there are some rights, but it depends on where you live and, you know, it's very complicated. It's not as easy as those siblings think when they get the call that, you know, oh, crap, we have to <laughs> split yeah. this now in five. It's not that simple. But yeah, some I think that that happens in some cases. 
Do you think that there's any jealousy that plays into it? If the birth parent is still alive, they may be afraid that the adopted child will be favored or something like that. One of the predominant themes in my practice was that, so if the if it's a baby girl and your oldest child that you have raised is a girl, I've actually heard them say, but I was your baby girl. What happens now? Yeah. Because yeah. now there is a, you know, but it's, I mean, being someone's baby girl, you know, because that child was literally someone else's baby girl. Yeah. You know, as in terms of the, uh, of like raising children. So, but I've heard that, you know, when the adopted child was of a different gender, I was always a bit relieved because then I would hear, oh, I finally have a sister or things like that. So it's a really tough scenario. Well, even, you know, when we first chatted, my adoptive parents believed that my sister was actually a brother. That's what they understood from the worker was that my birth mother had given birth to a boy. The family kept that baby. But when she got pregnant again, they just couldn't encourage that behavior, quote unquote. Her family sent her to a home for unwed mothers to have that baby and give that baby up. And that's not the truth at all. And it's because nothing was in writing, as I said earlier. So what it was was, my birth mother's mother had had a baby boy a year before my sister was born. So I could see where it happened. So she literally, the grandmother had a baby boy at home. And so I could see where that would have confused things. Mm-hmm. And so I, until I was 22 years old, I believed that that baby was a boy. And so I thought boys were better than girls because they kept the boy and let the girl go. So right. had she been a boy, you know, maybe things would have been different in our relationship. Because would I have started our reunion believing that he was better than me? Hmm. Like, it didn't turn out that way. She's female. And she had all girls, so it wasn't like she was just really wanting a boy. Despite our wish, uh, my sister and I saying, oh, I hope she had all boys after us. And we were only her only girls and she gave us up. (laughs) It's amazing how childlike your brain is when you're hurt. You know, trying to soothe the wounds, if you will. Yeah, you're brought right back uh, to that. Yeah, you know, we were lucky. They were very accepting. And and my birth father's children have also met. And they were also very accepting. I was very lucky. Very lucky in that way. I've met my birth father. He was, you know, right there and, you know, absolutely wanted to meet me. So different. Do you think that would play into a reunion too? Like a jealousy over, okay, now this person's coming into our family that was adopted and they are... Male, female, whatever. The children of the birth The family. children raised by the birth parents? Yes. Yes. Okay. That yeah. they may have some jealousy over another child coming into the family. Yes. Yeah, I think it's possible. I don't know if it's jealousy. I think it's more protectiveness. And just, you know, they grew up with their siblings, so they know who they are. And they know, you know, their deepest secrets and you know, all of that sort of thing that siblings have, that relationship. So, yeah, you're parachuting into that is not easy. And But I think, yeah, there's definitely um, a protectiveness toward their sibling set and toward their parents. Yeah. People always think you have that some motivation, right? Financial or yeah. or you're going to come in and <laughs> tell them off or, you know, people think that there's this underlying, you know, because they've not, they're not adopted. So they don't understand. They might have heard about adoption trauma and, you know, all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's their little nest and you're pulling at the straws and, and they're not liking it in some cases and in other cases they just make room in that nest and you know welcome you can never know for sure and sometimes you meet and there's a big flurry of relationship and then you know it peters out yeah that was one thing i was going to ask you you just talked about how many reunions you've seen where people say what do they want mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's common at first, right? Because you protect your family. So the first thing you do is stand up in front of your family and say, no, I need to know more before I let you in. Right. But that's the same in a way too with, you know, when your kids start dating, mm-hmm. letting that person into the family, that new person into the family, right? And like permanently into the family through marriage. So I think there's a similarity to that. And sometimes people are very open and welcoming and other times they're not. Yeah, that's actually an interesting analogy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes the marriage lasts and sometimes it doesn't. And it's the same with the reunion. You know, for some people, they just want to meet them and they're done. Yeah. That's they're satisfied with understanding them, meeting them, getting their genetic and medical information. And that's it. That's all they wanted. Mm hmm. Yeah, I guess it's hard for people, especially when their birth parent has already passed away and the siblings are all that's left and the adoptee really just wants to know about their birth parent and the siblings reject them. I mean, that's really difficult because they're really just looking for information that nobody else will be able to give them, you know? That's right. Yep. You know, it's hard. There's trauma in the whole birth and relinquishment. And then there's trauma potentially from reunions, but there's also a lot of positives, right? But I think it's a thing for another podcast if you're interested, Miranda, but there is a phenomenon called genetic sexual attraction. And that is, you know, if you picture how much, like if you have siblings and you picture how much like, you know, sometimes you were bathed together and sometimes you just romped together. And if your brother accidentally touched you in a in an inappropriate area, but not inappropriately, you know, it was just part of the sibling thing. Toddlers run around, you know, there's there's no boundary in that way as kids are being raised until they reach a certain age and then boundaries start to become set. So when birth children meet their birth parents, their or even their siblings, sometimes there is the phenomenon called genetic sexual attraction. Like I say, it's, it's a very complex thing. And if people are having a reunion, honestly, they should look that up, you know, Google it and understand it because it, it is definitely a phenomenon that exists and people should educate themselves. And you and I could do that on another, on another chat if you'd like. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something interesting. I'm sure it happens. And <clears throat> I'm sure that makes things really weird. <laughs> well, and again, it's education ahead. Like if you understand that you were missing out on the romps and stuff that siblings do together, you're missing out on that. Once you're accepted as siblings, you kind of want to make up for that, you know, and there's no boundary that there is when you're being raised, right? you know, together. So yeah, so it is an interesting chat. There's nothing skewed about it. It's just human nature. And like I say, there's information on it and you and I can chat about that further. But I think it's important people know it exists and that they look into it if they're getting their DNA or whatever. Read about that before you step in. Right. So that lives aren't destroyed. Yeah. There's a lot of preparation that like I know when we were doing our reaching out and this and that. We did nothing and it was more just like, oh, I wonder if it was more the wondering and we didn't Mm -hmm. do any kind of preparation, education Mm -hmm. about what could happen, what might happen. So I think for reunions, that's that's a really good thing to do. And not just talking to people that have been through it, but like reading about what could happen and, and how people may react, being prepared for that. And I was going to ask you, being in adoption reunion and witnessing reunions and stuff, do you think that there is any way that is best to reach out to people when you figure out who they are? Honestly, my bottom line advice would be to get someone else to do it on your behalf. Yeah. Right? 
So if you have a best friend or like first, if you can get a professional, that's ideal. But because of the changes to legislation in Canada, like there's less and less need for adoption disclosure workers because the things are more open. Mm -hmm. But honestly, to have a third party reach out that way, if the person hangs up, it's not personal. That third party is going to call back confidently. You're not necessarily. Right. Right. So if you can get a third party, a best friend, um, you know, even your spouse, not because you don't want (laughs) that to interfere with your own relationship or, you know, get a professional, go see a mental health counselor and explain that you just want them to make first contact for you. In Ontario, I think you can probably still go through the ministry. I've been retired now for a few years, so I'm not sure what changes are there, but uh, you might ask the ministry to reach out on your behalf as well and have your evidence. Like, you know, know, if it's legal to have your original birth certificate in your state or province or whatever, then get that first. Mm -hmm. So you have that evidence. It isn't because, you know, you reached out to Aunt Barb and Aunt Barb said that Uncle Peter is pretty sure that, you know, she had a baby boy. That's not a good first reach out. Right. Right. Because she or he can certainly hang up and say that has nothing to do with me. That's wrong. And then what do you do? Yeah, that's another thing. I heard that search angels nowadays are counseling people on their, you know, reaching out. Yeah, I forgot about them. Yeah. And I guess one of their things that they tell people, which I don't think really anybody follows it, but they tell them to try and keep their first contact as factual as possible and not be emotional Do you think that plays into people not rejecting, kind of like they don't feel as bombarded with the emotional piece of it? That's great advice, but pretty hard to follow. Yeah. I mean, if I call my birth mother and she hangs up, I'm going to be emotional about that as much as you can psych yourself up for that. I think what people need to understand is if she hangs up the first time, don't necessarily let that stop you. Mm -hmm. Reach out in a different way, perhaps. Perhaps a letter is better than a phone call you know, to give them time to think about it or to, you know, to talk to their partner, perhaps, about the existence of this person or whatever. Don't judge by that first reaction, because what would your first reaction be like if something came out of the blue from your past? Yeah, I mean, I can't... If you can hang up and end it, that's what you're going to do. Right. Or to say to the person, I can't talk now, I need some time to think about it, you know, whatever. If you're the birth parent getting that call, maybe don't hang up, just say, I need some time. Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe get their contact information so you can reach out. I don't know. But as you see, my birth sister and I did not take no for an answer. We waited Mm -hmm. until we found her obituary. Yeah. And then we reached out to her daughters, her other daughters. But so we weren't prepared to take no for an answer forever. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to ask, because I know the adoptees that I've talked to that have been rejected, they don't reach out again. They just let it lie and they just go on with being rejected. Do you think it's worth it ever to wait a year or six months and try to maybe reach out to people again? Honestly, I do. It's like if you buy a lottery ticket, you don't win the $100,000 prize the first time. Do you never buy another lottery ticket? Right. (laughs) Right? People are willing to take that chance. Yeah. If you've called and they've hung up, I think you need to just give them time because that might not be their final answer. Right. You know, but is that easy? And again, if it's not you making the call, I think it's easier to say to whoever made the first call, okay, we've waited six months or three months or whatever. They've had time to tell their kids or tell their partner or whatever. I'd like you to call again. Mm -hmm. It's not you. If it's not you, I think it's easier to take that second step. But, you know, we have that trauma. So if you hang up on me, I'm re-traumatized. And I don't know that I want that a third time. Right. 
Yeah. But if someone's calling on my behalf, I think maybe it hurts. There's no, you know, there's no way to say that when your birth parent says no to having anything to do with you as an adult, that's painful. No matter how much you understand the rationale or the reason for it, it hurts. So if it's not you, I think it's best. And then I would try again. Like I said, I'd buy a second lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think like you said, a lot of people, it's like after that initial rejection, it just stings so much that they just don't want to go back for more. And maybe even like I know in our experience, I was the one that reached out to my dad's half sister. She said she didn't want anything to really do with it. And I've thought about it, but I've never reached out to her again because I'm like, she has my address or my dad's phone number. If she wants to, she would. But do you think that maybe it's like they're not ready to take that step necessarily? Yeah, it just might not be the time because you don't know when you make that call what's going on in their lives. Right. They might be grieving. They might be, you know, there might be something going on like a wedding or a new birth or something that their focus is on. They're wrapping around their current family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always think it's worth at least a second shot at it. Yeah. You know, and because it's not your dad, it's so painful for you to deliver that news to him. Yeah. But it's not (laughs) as painful as being hung up on. Right. Or, you know, being told to, to go away. I think, to hearing that directly. I think people shouldn't be judged on their first response or reaction because remember, these people thought that this would never come back to haunt them. That's true. They were promised that. You know, in some cases, if it's their parent and you're talking to a child of the birth parent, they weren't told that and they have way different view of their parent. Oh, yeah. You know, like like when my birth sisters, they would say, well, she was so strong on birth control and, you know, telling us stuff before really we were expecting to. And when they met us, they understood why. Yeah. Because yeah. she didn't want her daughters to have the trauma she had. Yeah, it brings it into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think that there is a best method of reaching out to people? Do you think a phone call is best? Or do you think, I mean, email is a little impersonal, I guess, but... Mail might go into the wrong hands. True. That's like true. If you write a letter, it might go to the wrong, you know, so the spouse might pick it up and see it and tear it up. And then the birth parent would never know you even reached out. I think phone is best. You know, if you can reach them by phone, I think still it's the best way to do it. And to say, listen, I'm just going to tell you something now and I'm going to call you back in a week. Maybe don't pour your soul out in that first call. Yeah. Just say, you know, I'd like you to look into something. I believe that my dad is your half brother. Mm -hmm. And for his sake, I would like him to make some connection with you. And I understand that's a lot to hear. So I'm going to call you back in a week. And so a person can choose not to pick up your call, right? Right. Not to answer the phone. So you call a couple of times. And then if they don't call, that's, that's their no. That's their answer. Yeah. Like, I think there's a way to do that call, too. And again, if it's not the person, not the adopted person, it's probably best. But to say, you know, this is information. I'd like you to look into it. And uh, then I'm going to get back to you. And Mm -hmm. leave your number if you're comfortable with that. Or you can get back to me. Yeah. But I think phone is best because emails, any of those things could go to the partner and cause a terrible rift in that relationship. And nobody wants to do that. Right. So making a direct contact with the person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. is the best and yet once they realize you're not a telemarketer then they're they're stuck on the phone to hear you whether they like it or not <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of times people would hang up the minute you say you know are you miranda mm-hmm. and you hang up because if you're asking then it's a telemarketer yeah right so you know to even say that you know this is not a telemarketer call i'm looking for miranda yeah so you're more likely they're not going to just hang up yeah they're like oh what did she curious. do we're curious by nature <laughs> yeah 
We're gonna know what you want. What do you want? Yeah. Probably money, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What did you do this time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Is it the school calling about my kid? No. Okay. Is, are my children safe? Yeah. But that's again why you know having another a third party make that call, mm-hmm. they can be more objective. Right. They're not as wrapped up in it emotionally. Yeah. You know, or even yourself. Like you're you're wrapped up in it on behalf of your dad, but you're not like your dad's wrapped up in it way differently. Yeah. So you're able to make that call sort of more objectively than he would be. Right. Yeah. I kind of wanted to be like that buffer in between mm-hmm. for him. Yep. But like you said, telling him that was the worst thing I ever had to tell him in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's complicated. It really is. But I keep saying my sister and I are proof that if you wait and if you're patient, things can work out. Would I have still desire to meet her? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But at least I've seen videos of her. I've seen her like moving around. You know, I've heard her voice. I've done all of those things because I've met her kids. So you wouldn't recommend somebody reaching out to birth mom's children before she's passed away if she said no? No, no, because that puts them in a bind. Yeah, it does. I mean, I've seen the adoptee opinion of, you know, well, they're my siblings and they deserve to know. But do you think that just puts more space in between you and the birth parent? Well, the thing is, you don't know what their relationship is like in the first place. That's true. So, so for example, if, if you're talking to her, the daughter of the birth mother, and that daughter has had a baby and also placed the baby for adoption, maybe on advice of her mom, or like, you don't know what you're walking, you don't know the can of worms you're opening. That's true. There's some unfairness there. Like, people say, well, I have a right. Yeah, you do, but so does your birth parent. You know, and, and our, she was, uh, what, 19 and 20 years old. 22 years old when she made her decisions but you know 22 years old back in the 50s was a different age so you might think oh well she was old enough to know better whatever like maybe she was more mature less mature I don't know but I don't know what her state you know like my sister and I I think I might have mentioned on our our other chat we thought if we could find the children if we ever found the children that we would just go and sell like our joke was we'll go sell girl guide cookies at their doors Hmm. just so we can see them we wouldn't say anything but yeah. so we could say that we've seen our sister or our brother or whatever because we didn't know, right? So it's just that desire to see the other children of your birth parent. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And the difference too with when they made their choices is they were promised privacy and anonymity and that's over now. They were, but you know what? There was no promise made to me mm-hmm. about her privacy or anonymity or my birth father like I always feel that sure they were promised these things and you know their rights were protected but I have a right too as an adult yeah you didn't to sign know my away. medical information <laughs> and to know my medical history and you know if that wasn't written in my file properly and many files are pretty pretty empty or it's not even the truth yeah I've seen that right yeah I've seen it over and over where you know they made up the information about the birth dad because they were embarrassed Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they didn't know or whatever. They weren't sure. Yeah. Yeah, they either weren't sure or they weren't going to tell anybody they slept with that person. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, say, a 15-year-old kid and she slept with a 40-year-old man. She's not telling anybody that. Yeah. He's going to jail. Well, he should. But. Yeah. He, yeah. You, we agree, but she's in love, right? She was in love at the time or, you know, whatever he promised or... And women aren't innocent either. There's women who have affairs with young men too. So, you know, we always blame the the fellas, but uh, it's human nature. 
So do you have any other insight from either your experiences or your career on how to handle sibling rejection or parental rejection? I think, first of all, if it's not you initially, then it won't hurt as much. Like, it's hard for the intermediary. And you might want to tell them, you're going to, you might have to give me bad news. <laughs> yeah. Like, after you've made that call, I know you're excited to do it. But if they say no, you're the one that has to tell me that. So to prepare your intermediary, that's why these, the I forget the name, the angels. Yeah, the searching. Yeah, angels. like, if you can get someone like that, it's the best to do that outreach. And if they say no the first time, don't necessarily let that go. Like, it's the lottery thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just because I didn't win the prize the first time, I think I'd like to buy a second one at least. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Give them time to, to mull it over, to see it maybe from my perspective, maybe have time to tell their partner and see how they reacted. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would go for it. If I never call back, I think that's unfair to both of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. If you can work with a professional, a counselor, somebody to make that initial outreach for you, I think that's best. And the first answer may not be with like when they have time to, to mull it over. So a sec, I think a second try is worth it. Mm-hmm. It hurts the first time. It'll hurt the second time. But, you know, the not knowing hurts as well. Yeah. So you had mentioned the search angels. Now, when I was a search angel, they told us not to get involved and not to contact the parent or whoever. And mm-hmm. one time I accidentally somehow got entangled in a reunion situation And I ended up calling the the birth mother. She said, look, I appreciate this. I'm just asking for your discretion until I can talk to my family. Please don't have my daughter contact me until I'm able to explain everything to them. And the daughter ended up going online, finding the woman's information and calling her. And then I had the woman calling me like, why did you give her my phone number? So (laughs) the search angels aren't supposed to get involved for that very reason. And I was always so careful after that. Like, I don't want to be in that situation again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think you need to full on ask the person, like, you know, as I say, a friend or in your case, you did it for your dad, mm-hmm. you know, like to get a third person and a professionalist. Yeah. I'm not sure. The search angels, I'm not sure that they are a thing in Canada. I have heard of them. Yeah. In Canada, the ministry does that first contact. Yeah. Whether whether I accepted it or not. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I again, I think a person needs that second chance because, man, I can't imagine what that cold call must be like. You think you've put this behind you. They promised you secrecy. You know, I went away from my family for months so that no one would know. And yet someone's calling me to see if I want to meet that kid. It's got to be traumatic. Right. To me, I don't judge your first response reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should have time, some time to think about it. And that's why I say to say, I'm going to call you back in a week. And if they don't pick the phone up in a week, well, you know, I think that's more your answer. But at least you've given them some time to process it or to tell their partner. Yeah. In many, many cases, you know, and I've had the opposite. I've had family members tell adopted people that they were, say, their their aunt's child or whatever. I remember one lady waiting in the parking lot when I was working because at a family wedding, her I guess a family, an uncle or something said, wow, you know, you really look like you're uh like your birth mom and hmm. she was just gobsmacked because she thought she was adopted you know from to into a stranger's family but she it turns out she was placed within her own family her birth family and was never told wow hmm. so is that right <laughs> like i don't know like if people yeah. know about the pregnancy 
How secret is it? Yeah, it's really not in that case. Yeah, I had a mother and daughter taking a birth mother and her birth child taking a course together. Both searching, both had placed their names in the ministry, showed up at my waiting room and said, we think we're mother and daughter. Hmm. And they were. Wow. That's crazy. So I had to get special permission from the ministry to, I mean, what am I going to do? Send them away and say, no? Please. Yeah. You know, it took me some time to get permission and whatever, but. Uh, eh. They were just doing a class together and they yeah. just. Started wow. talking because they had both put in for searches. Huh. She was an adult. The, the the daughter was an adult. You can't do anything if the child is a minor, and you shouldn't. Yeah. If the child is a minor, you should leave that go completely. But, uh, yeah, they were both adults, and they were taking a college course together and realized that they were probably related. Wow, what a coincidence. It was even physical. You could tell they were mother and daughter when they were sitting in the waiting room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So... I knew, but I couldn't do anything as a professional until I had permission from the proper authorities. Right. So luckily, I got that permission. The weirdest things will happen. People say like, oh, I found out that me and my birth sibling were at the same place at the same time, or we went to the same college, or like, it's just crazy how people are so parallel, (laughs) you know? Yeah, which is why I so strongly fought for and believe in the, when you're an adult, and your sibling or your whatever, your siblings are adults, the right to be able to find each other. Mm-hmm. Right? So the legislation has changed. Throughout my career, the legislation really, really changed. And all for the better because, like, you know, we're adults now. So now you're withholding my birth parents' name from me. So now they can, if it's, you know, unfortunately, it's just mums most of the time. The birth dads are not, often not listed on the statements of live birth in Canada or Ontario. So you still have that missing link of mm-hmm. the who the birth dad was. But at least, you know, you have some right to information as an adult. I don't know what your rules are like over there, but there's been positive changes to a number of provinces. Not all of them. We're all adults now. Right. <laughs> don't believe when you're dealing with birth parents today, you promise the same level of secrecy as we did, you know, when I was conceived and born. Yeah. I mean, you just can't because of the no, DNA you can't, type Especially not stuff. with these, I mean, uh, these kits. Yeah interesting that's another thing that i've seen as far as rejection once they meet the birth mother and then the birth mother either won't tell them or finally does tell them who their father is then mm-hmm. when they meet the birth father then the birth mother rejects them like what do you think i just think it's just plain old human relationships yeah we're not good at them Nah. yeah it's true we're not good at them, right? And I think that that just, it depends on each scenario. I've seen some very, you know, positive results. I've seen birth parents tell birth mothers, say that the birth father was somebody else because they were embarrassed. I've seen, you know, like, I've seen so many things that we're just, we're not good at it. We're not good at relationships in general. Right. And anthropologists will probably take me way back and tell me how it's about human preservation and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure there's a, an explanation for it, but we're still not good at it. And if the birth father ends up being this, you know, wonderful person and the birth mother has said, you know, I don't want you to meet him because he was like this and he was like that and he's not like that anymore, then she's going to resent that, right? We're so complex in yeah. relationships as human beings. It's uh, to use a terrible term. It's a crapshoot. It really is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's my right to shoot the dice as an adoptee. That's where I stand. Mm-hmm. It's my right to put those chips down and shoot the dice. And that right's been withheld for generations. And I don't think that's right. Yeah. It's up to me. And I have to live with the consequences. Yeah. Not you. Not the government. I do. 
Exactly. So and there's a lot of people that have no desire to uh, find out anything about their birth family. You know, many, many people. So it's not every adopted person. It's many of them, but it's not all of them. Yeah, I've heard a couple of people say that they really just don't care or they don't want to know or whatever. Yeah, they're satisfied and their birth parents made a decision that they thought was best for them and they accept that and move on. And, you know, that's great. That's great. No one should be forced to know. You know, some people do it as a surprise. (laughs) No, that's a bad idea. I had a fella come in years and years ago and he said he wanted to surprise his sister for her 40th birthday or something by uh, uh, finding her birth kid. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Thanks for coming in. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure his heart was in the right place. Yeah. But no. I'm sorry, bud. No. Not the kind of surprise we do here. Thanks. (laughs) No, No, not on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Not on purpose. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. I appreciate that. It's always a pleasure. It's my favorite topic. I love talking about it, as you can see. 